But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. It's been a little while since we recorded last time. The uh, um, uh, Bert Rutan flew his, uh, his seagull, apparently. He did. I, I haven't really read a lot of these stories. I've just seen some of the headlines. Have either of you kind of looked into this, David? It feels like it's your kind of thing. Maybe not. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I've been following this. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it is, well, it, it it's as different an airplane as every one of us. Yeah. Now, you know, one of uh, Burt Rutan's other designs. Skigull. Am I correct that it's spelled S-K-I-G-U-L-L? That's the way they spell it. Ski gull, and it's uh, it's uh, you know an uh, an amphib as as only Bert Rutan would build it. It's it's uh, kind of cool looking. And uh, um, somebody describe it for me, David. What, what does it look like? Well, it's a it, in, in 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 the fashion of a lot of uh, amphibs. It's a high wing with strut bracing. Uh, it's got a top uh, a wing top of the wing mounted engine uh, tractor. Uh, and it has retractable wheels and retractable skis. So it's uh, meant to land on snow, on water, and on runway. I, I didn't know about the ski part. That's interesting. Yeah? That's where the ski and ski goal comes from. Well, see, I thought it had to do with, more like with water skiing, but okay, yeah. yeah well, and, it's able to do that, too. Yeah. So it had its first flight the other day, and uh, where, where did that first flight take place? Do you know? Uh, Where is he actually building this? He's not in Mojave anymore, is he? Well, I thought he was still in. Uh, or he relocated to Idaho, right? But I didn't know. I don't know where the game was. Or the the work was done. Yeah. Uh, whether this was done at scaled or uh, uh, there's no date line on this story. There's a, there's a link in that story to another site, uh, cdapress.com. Um, that was posted on November 4 and um, says that it was somewhere on something called Hayden Lake. Um, not clear quite yet exactly, you know, For where some reason, Hayden, it doesn't sound Hayden like a Lake Mo- Mojave location. <clears throat> it doesn't, but it, maybe it is, you know, somewhere nearby. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Priest Lake right. is mentioned here. No, that's typical not. for uh, typical for Rutan. This is another composite airframe. Yeah, uh, and highly efficient. I mean, they're claiming a twenty five hundred mile range at at the one hundred and sixty mile an hour cruise, one hundred and forty knots. Uh, twenty five hundred miles. Uh, what what engine is in this? Can we? I don't see anything on that in this story going to have to consult somebody other than yeah. science. I, I'm trying to skim the Flying Magazine uh, online uh, uh, report right now for this kind of information. Um, and uh, it's not jumping out at me here. I mostly was curious well, but, where Hayden Lake is located. but I'm Maybe a, it, it sounds like it is a Rotax 912. Yeah, it's a Rotax 912. It does, okay. Yeah, yeah 130 horsepower, which makes me wonder if it's not the uh, turbocharged well, this says this this says Rotax nine twelve IS, which doesn't really tell me a whole lot. Oh, that's the injected supercharged. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, a tractor engine. It's a, a polar prop, right? So it's, it's right. Um, I remember, it's always stuck in my mind that Rutan, this is about probably 10 years ago now, um, at one of the talks he gave at Oshkosh, talked about how, because he's somewhat notable for the pusher prop thing, and uh, um, he said that uh, it it doesn't actually turn out to be so so uh, effective. There are all kinds of aerodynamic issues with it, and that it's very inefficient. And uh, So he's moved back to the polar prop thing here. And uh, hmm. um, Whether this will... Uh whether this will morph into another kit uh, remains to be seen. It does. But I have no doubt that uh, there's a, a market out there of hardcore builders that would love to have something like this going together in their shop. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The uh, N number uh, shows to be based in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, for whatever that's worth, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's being built there. It does talk about Rotax 9112IS. Um, what's this, David? What did you just send us here? There's a picture. I just sent you the link from the uh, EAA website that uh-huh. shows a particularly different view than the uh, side shot. Yeah. Anyways, let's see. Yeah, that, so the, it's the, tan- this, tandem seating. I'll be down. Yeah, this CDA Press uh, website is Coeur d'Alene, Iowa. I, I'm sorry, Idaho. Yeah. Uh, if that's of any relevance. And I'm sure the lakes being referenced are up there. Yeah. yeah. And this is Rutan's 47th design. Wow. Well, there is a Hayden Lake in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, so mm-hmm. that's a, a likely suspect right there. But uh, um, And uh, Bert's quoted on the EAA site is saying that this is uh, going to be his last uh, design that he personally involved in building. Hmm. Well, you know, and I respect him to say that, but come on, Bert, this is Bert Rutan, and, you know, when he retired a few years ago, we said we find it hard to believe he's not going to design more airplanes, you know, and... Uh, uh, but not 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 a not a huge population of people who can pick up a, a, a design program, design their old airplane, and then get in their own anger and spend twenty months building it. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, twenty months is pretty good time for a from scratch, one off, first of its kind. And uh, I'm impressed by that. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, people from time to time have a very ambitious goals about building airplanes. So, you know. <laughs> Anyways, good luck yeah. to Bert Rutan. Bert, this is awesome. And uh, now, the yeah. sad part about this story, by the way, all right, is that this is literally, according to what Bert has said, this is literally a one-off. Um, he has no intention of building more. He has no intention really? of making plans available. He has really? no intention of this being a product. This is a, uh, this is a boomerang. I can hear a lot of disappointed exhales out yeah. there. This is, this is another boomerang. This is another one-shot airplane that Bert just thought would be cool and had the, you know, whatever to build for himself. And, uh, or another Grizzly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that everybody won't learn from it, but, but, uh, but he's not going to productize it or, you know, make it into a, 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 a design that people can directly take advantage of. Interesting. So, anyways, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, and, and hopefully we'll see it at Oshkosh sometime in the next few years. Well, hopefully. One would um, hope. One yeah. would hope. Maybe at the seaplane base. At the seaplane base, there you go. Or at the ski fly-in in in January, right? Or all three of these. Or all three. All three of these. Hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, uh, coming to you from uh, beautiful... but cold. It's definitely winter is taking hold. Uh, uh, high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire. Um, it's uh, it's actually a very strange winter. People are starting to wonder what's going on with the lack of snow. Um, it's and it's not really incredibly cold. I mean, it's cold for Florida cold, but it's Florida frigid. But it's uh, it's New Hampshire in December, kind of mild and uh, gets into the fifties every day. It's it got near sixty a couple days last week. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of nice, but uh, I don't know how y'all do it. I, I'm I'm not certain myself, quite frankly. But uh, anyways, well, we've we've had precious little uh, Thanksgiving weekend here was uh, cold, drizzly, and miserable uh, until Saturday afternoon of that long weekend. When the sun finally came out and the temperatures got above uh, 40 comfortably. But this past few days, we've been getting uh, high 30s to low 40s overnight and up into the 60s. We're, we're supposed to hit 67, 68 here today. Whoa, very cool. Wow. Very cool. I should tell people who don't haven't already figured this out, that's one of my two good friends that I'm talking with here. That's Dave Higdon, talking to us from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. It's really nice out there, David, huh? Oh, yeah, it's lovely. Uh, got down to about 37 last night here and uh, was already up into the middle 40s when I came out here to uh, unlock the office and, uh, and sit down with you all. Yeah, very cool. Man, my other good friend here in the uh, virtual hangar is uh, coming to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm spiffy. Yeah, um, so uh, it's, uh, the weather here is is uh, you know relatively unremarkable. There's a fairly high overcast, uh-huh. and uh, 
it's a little cool, so it's a little bit of a gray day for uh, for Florida. But, is it wetter uh, than usual? Did I see a story that, like, I don't know, Miami got some insane one-day rainfall recently? We got about two or three inches here. When when was it? I guess middle of last week. Mm-hmm. Um, which was kind of insane for this kind this time of year. There was some kind of a front moving through, and and uh, it it decided to dump a bunch of water on us. That's unusual for Florida this time of year. I'm I'm sure Miami was affected by that same storm. Mm-hmm. What else is going on? How's your uh, how are your Gators doing? This has been in the start. Yeah, I think everybody's thinking yeah, of you right now, Jeb. Everybody's thinking of you. Everyone who's a podcast a UCAP listener, because uh, alligators in backyards of Florida are in the news lately. Uh, really? I yeah, haven't you haven't seen, seen this story? Oh, well, I saw the the um, um, the thing that Phil Weston floated this morning. I haven't had a chance to respond to Yeah, so to what it. apparently happened, this is sometime in the last month or so or something like that, um, the police were, were responding to a call for uh, uh, prowlers in a backyard. Um, turns out a couple of guys, uh, this is uh, according to the stories and, of course, allegedly and all that kind of disclaimer stuff here, right? these two guys were wandering around in backyards uh, scoping out houses to try and uh, burgle them. And somebody noticed them and called the cops. The cops were now trying to trace these guys. And one of the two um, hid at the edge of a little pond at the back of one of, in one of these backyards or in, in these properties. He's hiding by the pond. And then he was never heard from again, all right? And uh, finally, his girlfriend called him in as a missing person. They did some looking around and discovered that apparently while he was, you know, kind of hiding at the edge of the little pond, an 11-foot alligator swooped out and got him, all right, and uh, dragged him underwater and, and, and drowned him, which is the way gators do this kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, you know, your gators are good watchdogs, too, apparently, you know, well, keeping an eye out for the burglars, you know. Generally, I would have thought that professional courtesy would have prevented <laughs> this kind of an alligator attack. But I guess the, uh, with the way the economy is and, and uh, all sorts of other variables, that the alligator just really had no choice. I guess so. I guess so. So, uh Anyways, that's so. So, the, so I'm I'm going to return to my my being slightly concerned. But I've gotten grown very comfortable with your gators over the years, and uh, I mean, the first time I visited, I, I wouldn't get within ten feet of the water's edge because I just yeah. had images of them, you know, rocketing well, out of the water. The, the one the one I have now is is of concern in in a couple of ways. One, um, he's been eating a lot of he's been killing a lot of fish. Yeah. Um, almost every day I'll wake up and I'll see one or two dead fish floating in the lake. And what makes you think the gator's <clears throat> killing them? Because there's no other uh, a rational explanation. Okay. Um, and um, I'll, I'll see him occasionally, you know, on the side of the lake chomping on a fish or something like that. And then he'll just kind of leave it or stash it, you know, maybe for later. But it, it breaks free or starts floating around, whatever, and the turtles start getting at it and, and uh, yada, yada, yada. But um, he uh, is, is very curious. And if, if anybody is doing anything around the lake, he wants to find out what's going on and will float up quietly and unobtrusively to watch the proceedings from a close vantage point, which is disconcerting sometimes um and um so there's all that going on uh he's he's fairly aggressive he swims fast and hard um so he's only about three and a half four feet right now and i know that you know when you consider maybe chihuahua as a pet you know that's a little bit uh extreme but um i i'm I'm afraid I might have to do something about him in the near future. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. Yeah. Well, be careful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Because they're not totally harmless. No, Anyways, they're not. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, hollering, they're hollering airplanes at, the, uh, at their Yeah, pod, the, at they their are. I don't, I don't right want now. to um, 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 do anything uh, precipitous. Yes. Let me give you a quick uh, trip report here. Um, uh, I was recently on a, a work-related trip to uh, California, and while there, visited a buddy of mine uh, uh, who actually is not an air, well, he's sort of an airplane friend, but he's mostly a, my, a work friend of my day job. 
and he lives up in uh, Nevada County, California, which is a particularly co- little town called Grass Valley. Um, uh, it's sort of halfway up the Sierra, two th- a third of the way up the Sierra from the uh, Central Valley up towards uh, the Tahoe area. And uh, I went to visit and spend a couple of days at his home, and it was it was a great visit, and uh, had a had a good old time, uh, both relaxing and partying. Um, he's a little younger than I am, and these kids can party these days all day. <laughs> but uh, he uh, his family uh, owns an airplane, owns a hangar and an airplane that they keep at uh, the Nevada County Airpack uh, Air Park, um, what many of us just call Grass Valley Airport. Um, if you want to look it up, it's uh, it's a Kilo Golf Oscar Oscar. Uh, Golf Oscar Oscar, uh, Nevada County Air Park. It was kind of a fun visit. Um, it's it is in fact an air park. Um, it's apparently gone through some some uh, uh, issues over the years with the whole through the fence thing. But for the time being, many people have through the fence access to this this airport. It's a, a non tower airport with one runway up there in the uh, Sierra. Um, he, uh, they have a beautiful hangar that's uh, you could almost live in in it. Uh, they have a nice little you know loft space and big big space. They keep a Comanche. I think I sent you guys pictures of the you, Comanche. You did back yeah. at the yeah, time. Yeah, you did. And uh, um, you guys know better than I how nice a Comanche that is. But uh, it it, uh, it it certainly looked nice to me. And uh, they do a lot of personal flying around uh, uh, around California um, for a bit of the. Uh, the family does has a business that they travel for, and uh, apparently the airplane's actually owned by my friend's dad and or parents, and uh, so they fly it a lot like that. So I was I visited the hangar, um, and then because it's you know it's a, a I'm not sure if it's officially a private airport. Let's see who says it. Does it say here who owns it? Uh, Grass Valley, open to the public. I'm not seeing it jump out at me. Anyways. Um, so we jumped in a golf cart um, at at the hangar and uh, went uh, riding along the ramps. All right, and uh, went, we cut across the runway, which was allowed. It's okay. Drove down the ramp, uh, went looking at all the uh, private airplanes, poked our head in in one of the uh, maintenance shops, and talked with some of the mechanics there. And that was kind of cool. The uh, and so there was, that alone would have been very very fun. The real highlight of the visit, though, is that uh, Nevada Nevada County Air Park is the home of one of the Cal Fire. Bases. This is the uh, air bases where uh, where they uh, uh, fly off to fight fight forest fires, and uh, and they had two of the and I'm blanking. I'm not working from any notes here. This is all from my memory. But uh, they had two of these uh, um, twin engine um, uh, fire bombers there um, that uh, that is are the based Canada, there. The Canadair. Um, I don't think it was a Canadair. Amphibs? I think it was like a like a Lockheedish kind of thing here. Hang on, if I can. Let's see if we can find this here. Cal Fire. Say, I don't remember California using much in the CL215s or 450s. Yeah. But but a lot of repurposed airframes. Sorry, doing some quick searching here. Yes, I believe this is the aircraft. Let's see here. I can find the uh, link to that. Go into here, figure out how to send you guys a link. All right, look at that picture. Ah, that's um, uh, Grumman, actually. That's an S1, I believe. Okay. Um, these are cool airplanes. Um, so the uh, firebase, the boat, two of them that are based there were both sitting. There's also a third aircraft, which was a spotter aircraft. Here, let me find you a picture of that one here. And uh, Yeah, Grumman TS2, I'm sorry. Um, um, by the end number, S2 tracker. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So, uh, they were both, uh, that as well as this third aircraft that I'm sending you a picture to, um, were sitting on the ramp there at the, uh, fire base, which is sort of center, centrally located along the runway, um, there at, at Grass Valley. And, uh, it was pretty quiet. So we kind of, you know, respectfully wandered over to the edge of their ramp and kind of made eye contact and, and, and walked on over to uh, say hi and we were chatting with some of the crew members, which were just sitting on a, on the front deck of a, of a little building they have there at the edge of the ramp. And they obviously are their firefighters just waiting for a call. And very friendly, and uh, we were asking them some questions about, you know, the equipment and the the, uh, the procedures and whatnot. And they're, they're very forthcoming, very friendly. They seemed to, to appreciate having a visitor who was interested and somewhat knowledgeable. I, I, at one point, I casually said, uh, you know, may I, may I go up close to your airplane? May I go look at it? And he says, sure, let me take you over there. So he accompanied me over there. 
And we not only walked up and, and got a lot, nice little chore with a, a description of the uh, tracker um, walking around it, but uh, he actually opened up the door and said, climb inside. And so I uh, climbed up inside this thing and, and didn't actually sit in the cockpit, but, but um, entered the, the entryway into the middle of the cockpit and got a chance to see the uh, panel and the, uh, you know, um, it's, you know. Did it very, smell like smoke? No, it didn't. It didn't smell like smoke. Um, it smelled, you know, it smelled like they always do. It smelled like jet fuel. Um, they, uh, there's, uh, it's, it's just a cool airplane. I, I've always liked the look of this airplane, and uh, and uh, the mission it flies is pretty cool too. One interesting thing about this is, you know, so he was sort of guarding the panel as I was sitting there. I wasn't even within arm's reach of the panel, but he was guarding the panel because, as he explained to me, the. Uh, the uh, uh, controls for dumping the retardant um, apparently are always hot, and uh, I'm not exactly sure why that is. But he said if you can accident, it's you know it's like doesn't take more than one or two gestures on the panel to dump the load right there on the ramp, and that obviously is something they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it looked around the aircraft and then uh, climbed out and and uh, uh, we're walking around the ramp some more, looking at it some more, and uh, went over to this other airplane. What's this other? This is the Spotter. This is a the uh, the uh, yeah, that's what I thought. It's, yeah, this is this is the aircraft. This, in fact, may be the actual aircraft that Patty oh, Wagstaff a, flew. It's right? an OV-10 Bronco. This is the base that Patty Wagstaff was located at, at least for okay. part of her time doing firefighting a few years back. And uh, and she may have actually flown this particular spotter aircraft. But uh, um, they, were, they were very terse when I asked her questions about the experience with Patty Wagstaff. I think probably out of, <laughs> out of, uh, out of uh, you know, uh, courtesy and privacy and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but uh, um, they showed us around here. So we're wandering around the ramp, and we're, and we're starting to look at this spotter aircraft. And, uh, and, and every now and then, you know, they got the radio on a loudspeaker that you can hear across the ramp. And there's calls from time to time, and it doesn't sound like anything, you know, that you wouldn't hear on the CTAF anywhere. And whenever the call would come through, our guide would, would kind of pause and kind of lift an ear and listen to the call and kind of go back to paying attention to us. And, and as the calls progressed, he started to pay more and more attention to it. And he, at one point he says, he says, well, we may have to go someplace soon. And I'm going, oh, okay. And, uh, and a couple minutes later he goes, yeah, it looks like we're going to go someplace. And then a couple minutes later, some like horns went off and, and it was like a scramble. I don't know what they call it, you know, but, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, I, I called them uh, scrambling for, uh, for a flight. And so they very apologetic, but very quickly kind of headed back to the deck where they got into their jumpsuits and, uh, um, and, and we asked could we stay there by the deck and, and watch this whole thing? And they said, yes. So uh, we watched them go out, and very, very quickly they mounted up these two trackers um, as well as the uh, the spotter aircraft, and uh, taxied them out. and uh, And once they were gone from the ramp, they said it would be okay for us to walk to the far side of the ramp, closer to the runway. And so we stood out there on the edge of the uh, runway while these two aircraft took, uh, three aircraft, uh, took off and and headed off to what was apparently a very a mild kind of a yard fire kind of thing. It wasn't like a big forest fiery thing. Um, they were talking about it was some relatively routine fire event that that they had to respond to and uh, hmm. um and so it was it was it was uh, they were very friendly and very and, and of course it was very interesting and got a chance to watch these airplanes take off up close and uh, and I shot some video of it I may post on the site we'll see how that goes but cool uh, um it was a, it was a cool little visit we <laughs> climbed back into our golf cart and uh, <laughs> back uh along the ramp and and just about the time you know we were looking at a few more private airplanes and things and by the time we got back to my friend's hangar um the airplanes were returning um and uh, they do a cool overhead break kind of thing when they arrive back they come overhead and then do a big 270 down to uh, land um apparently they uh for for the purposes of the fire bombers this is a one-way in and out airplane uh, airport um so the direction they because it's sloped and so they take off in one direction and uh, and then land in the opposite direction, regardless of the winds, um, which, as you might imagine, apparently involves you know resu- requires some uh, awareness of the local residents, so that they uh, is that a noise thing or is it a I, uh, I got the feeling that it was a, I got or? the feeling that it was a terrain thing that it had okay. to do both with the slope of the runway and the surrounding terrain. Yeah. Um, so, uh, pretty interesting visit, and I and I thank my my friend Brian. Uh, um, uh, Brian M, I'll call him, um, for uh, for inviting me over and for having me as his guest for a few days, and especially for this visit over to uh, Grass Valley Airport. Very cool. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was and it was great to get inside and also to see these airplanes take off up close. 
So a North American OV-10A. Yeah. Oh, that's the spotter airplane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was an observation yeah. airplane to begin with. Right. All three of these are twin engine, uh, high wing, um, aircraft. The, uh, the, OV-10 is is a, a little bit more. The well, let me put it this way: the the trackers are real beefy airplanes, as you might imagine, because they're carrying some weight. And uh, but uh, the uh, the tracker is a little bit more. Very slick. Very yeah, slick. The, the, the trackers were initially made for carrier use. Really? Um, um, back in yeah. I don't know, maybe the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think originally had uh, radial engines on them. Um, but they're also used for um, anti-submarine warfare, et cetera. And uh, once they became surplus, uh, they got bought up. The, the uh, OV-10 Bronco was used in Vietnam as a forward air control platform. The Bronco, yeah, right. Uh, is the Tracker the uh, 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 COD airplane, the COD airplane? Um, it probably it may have been used for that purpose at this some that- point or another, but the, the the tracker designation alone kind of gives it away in that it was used to to track uh, submarines okay. uh, in in, in uh, anti submarine warfare. Mm-hmm. The the COD the COD what is it carrier on board yeah, delivery or something like carry that? carry on board delivery yeah exactly yeah um, that's it's a, it's a C one Greyhound I think is the common yeah is an airplane um, that operates on and off of aircraft carriers um, right. For for I guess more personal and small freight transport, um, so uh, cool stuff, cool stuff. Hello, UCAP listeners. This is Pilot Jim G, occasional co-host and co-sponsor of our annual listener appreciation festival, the Tie Down Party, held every summer at Oshkosh at Air Venture. I'm coming to you today for two reasons. First, I'm tired of hearing Jack do it, and second. It's important to ask those who can and are able to consider supporting the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. As you may have surmised, our excellent cadre of hosts are not giving up their day jobs to earn a living making UCAP episodes. So we'd like to show them our support as well as provide the resources for hosting, servers, audio equipment, perhaps better internet connections, and um, and the occasional contribution to the tip jar. If you'd like to support the podcast, please take a look at the options listed on the right-hand side of the main Uncontrolled Airspace podcast webpage at www.uncontrolledairspace.com. The options include one-time payments by PayPal, as well as recurring contributions through Patreon. I sure do hope you'll be able to join me in supporting all of our hosts to keep the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast in cruise flight for a long time to come. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. What else is going on here? David, uh, uh, there, uh, the, you told us a story here about a Spitfire. What's going on with this? Are they, are they restoring a Spitfire, building a Spitfire? What's this is going well, uh, on? Our old buddy down at uh, uh, Fantasy of Flight, Kermit Weeks, Always has something going on. And uh, back a few weeks ago, they uh, returned to running condition uh, a Spitfire, Supermarine Spitfire Mark 16. uh, And pulled it out of the hangar and uh, prepped the engines and started them for the first time in 17 years. Ooh, okay. the airplane had been flying when Fantasy first opened, but uh, an AD on some landing gear bolts grounded it. Uh, took a long time before they got the right parts to uh, comply with that AD. As you might imagine, Supermarine Spitfire hardware is not your everyday item from aircraft sprue. Isn't there? I thought there was a section on eBay for that stuff. <laughs> and the. Uh, the uh, spit got out. They turned a prop. They gave it a good long run, got all the fluids warmed up, and uh, cycled the prop. And where it goes from there, I haven't heard yet. But it is a sweet-sounding machine like all those Merlins. I'm yeah. opening this link. Is there a video of the... Of the uh... Yes, there yeah, is. There is. There oh, is. cool. It's yeah. taking its time opening here, so I'm not... Eight, eight minutes and 20 seconds worth. Uh, of, yeah. of the engine running. Yeah. yeah, that's porn, man. That's good stuff. I like 
That's, yeah, it, it, it's almost so good that you you don't even need the video, the audio carrying. Sure, sure, oh, I believe yeah. it. Well, that's very cool. And now the now the Fantasy of Flight is open again, at least part time. Um, people can get down there and, and actually maybe they'll run this thing as part of a an exhibit. That would be kind. Well, of maybe cool. they'll fly it too, or maybe they'll fly it. It's so yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that would take some some work, but 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 uh, Fantasy of Flight and Kermit Weeks have been known to do, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, they've so. been done, they've been doing that for a few years. Yeah, very neat, very neat. I'm gonna have to listen to the video when it'll it'll actually load on my machine. For some reason, it's not loading this morning, but uh, that'll be cool. Hey, so uh, this just the third class medical reform. Let's let's talk, yeah. talk about this. Update me here because I'm I'm sur- interesting. You mentioned that. Yeah, yes. this very day. Okay. December 8th, 2015. December 9th. Today's the 9th, Chad. Oh, today's the 9th? Okay, lost track. All right, December 9th, uh, uh, 2015. Senate, what happened Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation has scheduled it for a markup uh, today. Uh, what does that mean, markup? That's some sort of politics process term, right? Well, it could mean anything from going through a bill line by line and marking it up with changes to as little as you have a quorum. We vote to this out of the committee. It goes through the vote. It gets out of committee and goes to the floor. It can be that short or the markup can last days. I know Jeb's been through that process. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So today, it's scheduled today to go through that process, whatever it is in this particular well, case. they had a markup back in uh, the middle of November. And they passed an amendment uh, offered by Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Uh, But they found out that they didn't have a quorum. And because of scheduling conflicts with other members of the committee, they had to postpone final action on it. So we're hoping that that's all that happens today. And it comes out today and goes to the full Senate where it has now 70 sponsors. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, bye-bye. My math, that's enough to overcome a, even a veto should that long shot happen, but right. more than enough to pass the bill out and to prevent, to prevent any uh, holdups like a filibuster. Right. Now, is the House of Representatives to come, or is that part already happened? That's next. And that's next. And what's the expectation with that part? I'm oh, okay. not sure it's as easy a slam dunk as it should be in the senate they only have 151 sponsors in the house uh they're uh it's a very bipartisan collection of uh co-sponsors but uh with an election year on and a lot of angry people uh they still need what 60 six about 60 votes extra on top of those 151 to get it out of the house yeah, the, the, the House situation is, is you know, a little bit more complicated than the Senate situation. Um, this also happens to be um, the season where FAA is up for reauthorization. We talked about reauthorization at length back in the early days of this podcast, and and um, anybody who's interested can go back and, and look at some right. of that. But uh, um, it's that time of uh, – it's, it's that season again, if you will – and um, there are um, aviation transportation policy leadership factions in the House who um, are in favor of and want to push the concept of privatizing the air traffic control system and uh, possibly uh, creating user fees. Um, so there's that dynamic, and I, without putting words in anyone's mouth, one of the uh, um, deals that has been offered down the road, or, or in the past, I should say, uh, has been, oh, sure, if you want uh, Pilot's Bill of Rights too, and you want Airman Medical Reform, all you have to do is accept our proposal for privatizing the air traffic control system and creating user fees. That would be a big and that's, price. That's, that's a non-starter yeah. uh, for the general aviation industry, especially for AOPA and EAA which are the, the primary movers behind the, the uh, medical reform legislation. So um, what will happen uh, in the House, in, in whether on, on medical reform or FAA reauthorization, is, is up in the air. These questions are definitely on the table right now um, in that the House could act pretty much any time it wanted to, 
but they kind of bought themselves a breather last month by um, extending FAA's uh, um, um, authorization until March, as I recall. So there's another couple of three months uh, mm-hmm. built into the time frame. Um, if I were to, um, well, let me let me just simply suggest that the, the best case right now would be for the Senate Commerce Committee to report the bill um, uh, with the Mankin, Mansion Mankin Amendment um, and send that to the Senate floor. Sometime between now and, and the holiday recess, the Senate would slam dunk that <clears throat> through the through the uh, um, through the process and uh, pass it and uh, send it to the House for uh, its consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, what would happen then is anyone's guess. My my initial thinking is that it probably won't. Uh, even if even if the Senate does its thing here in the next few days before the end of the uh, the current session. Uh, before the end of the uh, before the end of the year, uh, the House would not take it up in in nearly as as quick a fashion, um, and and action would be postponed into next year on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that would look, what that action would look like, how it would be accomplished, is anyone's guess. Uh, some smarter minds than mine uh, are working that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just, just so I'm clear on this, just um, that although there certainly is a very strong interrelationship between the Pilots' Bill of Rice, Rights legislation and the FAA reauthorization legislation, they don't necessarily have to both happen together. That is correct. They yeah. don't necessarily yeah. have to happen together. The House um, could do anything it wants to do. Um, the uh, the chairman of the um, the House Transportation <coughs> Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Bill Schuster is one of the uh, uh, proponents of uh, privatizing uh, air traffic control. So he's also, you know, in the position of deciding aviation policy generally for the House and uh, probably is not going to support the idea of um, uh, airman medical reform without exacting some kind of quid pro quo with the general aviation industry relative to uh, um, air traffic control. So how all this is going to fall out is anyone's guess. Could it be slipped into something larger? Absolutely. Could it go through in the middle of the night without anybody paying any attention? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, but less likely. Um, um, Pick up a pen and paper, pick up a a mouse, uh, and... and, uh, um, communicate with your elected officials on this topic because um, that's about the only thing that's helped so far this year. Yeah. Or, or David, in this and, process. And the House members do have a in-run option available should uh, Representative Schuster bottle this up and try to use it as a bargaining chip for privatizing air traffic control. It's rarely used, but it has been successful uh, just recently. Uh, it's a mechanism called a discharge petition, and the expectation would be that the 151 co-sponsors could start the discharge petition and then individually try to recruit the 60-odd, almost 70 additional signatories they'd need to bypass Representative Schuster's committee and force it to the floor for a vote. Uh, proponents of the XM Bank did that successfully just a couple of months ago and that got the uh, bill over to the Senate where it was folded into the uh, surface transportation bill which was passed and signed by the president so they do have that option and I know that some of the supporters uh, in the house feel strongly enough about this to take that to take that avenue yet again they won't make any friends with the chairman of that committee but uh, they'll make friends with voters, so fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah the, the the discharge petition is always an avenue, and there's a similar um, a process, perhaps not as formal in the Senate, if if legislation gets bottled up in a committee. Um, <clears throat> in the House, the discharge petition really serves to just piss off people. Um, the the XM Bank thing is is kind of a rare case, and one of those comes along every every uh, uh, blue moon. 
Uh, I, I certainly it's anything is possible, especially with this crew. But uh, I wouldn't put a whole lot of faith in the the, the house um, um, supporting a discharge position petition, uh, or uh, and or um, if if such a move was mounted and and began to gather some momentum. Um, I think Schuster would get even more pissed off about the situation. Yeah, and that, that, and that's that not deal a with, healthy. Yeah, that's not a healthy thing. No, and that deal with the XM Bank uh, succeeded because both the House and the Senate uh, had membership, uh, a majority of which supported the XM Bank mm-hmm. reinstatement. Uh, there was a small minority that opposed it, and they were successfully holding it up in the House until the discharge petition forced it. Once the House forced it out with the discharge petition, it got through the Senate, no sweat, no strain, and then right. got attached to the highway bill. I don't see that depth of support for medical reform and uh, FAA reauthorization yet in the House. But like Jeb says, with this crew, anything's possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. And, and as Jeb said, keep those cards and letters coming in to your elected representative. Absolutely. They Absolutely. do, particularly with an election coming up in 11 months. Yeah, and, and there's a, a very good tool uh, available for that that the uh, National Business Aviation Association has put together uh, based on your zip code. It will um, automatically uh, write emails to uh, your, your federal elected officials. Uh, it has you know, a pre-canned uh, uh, letter. You can edit if you wanted. Um, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, to that website page and uh, uh, strongly encourage our listeners to uh, avail themselves of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and just a quick look here. It appears to be go to NB, nba.org oh, slash advocacy slash contact. Um, yeah. But we'll put a link in the, in the notes or on the website somehow, some way. That, anyway. that was one of the most prominent signs on the, in the hallways and on the convention floor at NBAA last month. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, David. So uh, a week or so ago, you were there at the uh, at the National Business Aviation Association's uh, annual to-do there in, where was it, Las Vegas, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas has not shown itself so lousy, that it was such lousy weather in any of my prior visits. Really, really. Give us a quick report on the show. Anything uh, particularly of note, uh, of interest to uh, our listeners? Well, Cessna uh, brought a, uh, a mock-up of its longitude. Uh, they said it was a, a ground test article. Uh, the longitude is their super mid-size entry. Uh, it's bigger than the latitude that's flying now uh, and is due, I think, in 2017. Mm-hmm. But they also uh, unveiled a, a new, uh, uh, even larger jet called the Hemisphere. So we got latitude, longitude, and hemisphere. Okay. Now we just yeah. need minutes and seconds and degrees. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, they didn't have a mock-up of it there, but they had a cabin cross-section mock-up, both at the static display and on the convention floor. Uh, as usually happens when this show's in uh, in Las Vegas, they had uh, – the uh, north and uh, and main wings of the Las Vegas Convention Center chock-a-block with exhibitors. I believe they had over a thousand again. Uh, they had about a hundred aircraft at static display at Henderson. Uh, it did good business. Attendance was uh, not a record by a long shot, twenty-seven thousand plus. But it was the best showing that they've had in the post-recession era. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a, a, a nice indicator that uh, things are starting to come back on multiple levels. Uh, Airbus and Boeing both uh, showing their uh, airline-based or uh, business wares. Uh, Bombardier and Gulfstream uh, slugging it out over the, uh, over the super long range and uh, large cabin category with uh, – Neither one of them exactly faring their best right now in terms of business. Uh, Gulfstream, uh, shortly after the show, announced that it was cutting about 1,100 people company-wide. That market, which stayed strong through the recession and for several years after the recession, is now starting to uh, uh, struggle. 
and the medium and the light jets that took it in the shorts at the beginning of the recession. They're starting to come back and uh, stronger deliveries there. Uh, hmm. So you're seeing more aircraft delivered, but lower billings because the mix is shifted to the lower end. Where for uh, several years there, it was at the upper end where the uh, price tags run in the fifty million to seventy million dollar range. Uh, there was a good showing on the indoor static display. Our old buddy uh, uh, from Aviat was there. Uh, uh, the uh, folks from One Aviation were there with both a turboprop and a an Eclipse jet. Uh, they uh, had a good cross-section top to bottom. Uh, the only thing I don't remember seeing in the uh, indoor static area was a, a light sport entry this year, like they had uh, last year. Uh, I would have been real surprised to hear about any LSA stuff at yeah. MBAA. Well, uh, when you got an Aviat Husky sitting in the uh, static display for the, I don't know, fourth or fifth time in a row, uh, and LSA is not that much departed from that and uh, last couple of years the indoor static had uh, a light sport entry in there uh, but I may be wrong but I don't remember seeing one this year uh, they had over a dozen airplanes in the uh, indoor static and on the convention floor itself uh, Pilatus was there showing off the PT-12 and the jet again mm-hmm. with their usual really creative paint jobs and uh it, the floor was busy. Uh, the workshops were and the uh, educational sessions were full. Uh, the opening general session with a, a lineup of uh, top level speakers was uh, was uh, chock a block with people, uh, and uh, even got to uh, meet uh, one of the speakers, a country star named Dirks Bentley, mm-hmm. who's an active GA pilot as well as a musician. Uh, uh, bumped into Ed Bolin at the uh, indoor static on opening morning, and he introduced me to uh, Mr. Bentley, who, if you remember the URL that I gave you and you're listening, uh, gl- glad you tuned in. Yeah, yeah. Now, he just was to- very interested in learning about our podcast because he'd only found one that he'd uh, been listening to, and he wasn't getting all uh, that much satisfaction out of it. So, yeah. now before we move on, be better. Before we move on, um, the most significant rumor that I heard coming out of MBAA is uh, rumor has it there is floating around on the internet a photograph of you, David, wearing a coat and tie. <laughs> um, yeah, and this be. disturbs can't me be. on so many different levels. I, you know. I've, I've yet to see photographic evidence of that, but I do know a couple of people that were, that after they picked their jaws up off the floor, uh, pulled out their camera phones and a snapshot of me and I tried my best not to be ugly. So like all rich uh, ink stained wretches, you will have a chameleon ability to, uh, you will, you will adapt yourself to whatever environment you are in, in order to get the story, right? Well, it, it, it's helpful. I mean, uh, NBAA has always been a shirt and tie show for me, but usually with a sports coat and slacks or jeans, even, uh, this year, thanks to uh, a uh, rather significant change in body mass, mm-hmm. I uh, pulled out a bunch of old suits from the back of the closet right. and uh, sent all the ones that fit to the cleaners and uh, and wore each one of them one day at NBAA. And then on the last day, I was back in jeans and uh, uh, a turtleneck okay. and right. my flight jacket and Everybody was much more comfortable then. That's right. Well, yeah. yeah as every, as anyone who met you who had, had chance to say hi at Oshkosh knows that you're looking very fit these day, days, David. So uh, good for you on that. Anyways, Work, working on it. Yep. There you go. Let's see now. Well, start. Let me get off blood pressure med. Can you believe that? Have you really? Well, good for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it kind of threw me for a loop when the doctor first ordered me to stop taking them because quote unquote my blood pressure was uh, too low. And for the next two weeks, it was higher than I liked. And then it settled back down, and I'm back down almost in the too low range again. So, Well, uh, figure out how to manage it, but that's a good thing. Well, it's weird taking one less pill a day and picking up one less script every month. Uh, (laughs) I know, huh? I know. At Uncontrolled Airspace in the virtual hangar, 
The pilots were chatting, but then heard a bang or a noise of some kind from behind the tool shelf. Twas a man dressed in red, a quite jolly old elf. He opened his pack, and he flashed them a look, and he rummaged around, and he pulled out a book. The pilots all hoped there was something for them. They begged, Santa, look in your pack once again. Did you bring me a gadget? An Avgas container? He said, no, you've been bad. I've brought just the disclaimer. But Santa Claus smiled as he read to them there his message of wisdom and safety and care. The UCAP members, those wise old flyers, are speaking their very own thoughts and desires. The folks whom they work with might not feel the same, and that is all right. No one is to blame. The stories they tell and advice, while terrific, you take them as general and never specific. When you're in your plane and pilot in command, keep all of your training right there close at hand. Assess your own situation that day and fly your own airplane just like my sleigh. And they heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, But you knew that already, so have a good flight. <laughs> We're sort of reaching the end of our allotted time here, believe it or not. But uh, there's a few other things here. D- uh, Jeb, real quickly, um, yeah. aircraft population in Florida, is this notable? I mean, is this new? No, I just put it on the... I so Florida the has the most private aircraft... Most business jets. Most business jets. According to this. Of any uh, state but Texas. Exactly. And has, state has more, more private aircraft than many large nations. Ah, uh, okay. Well, we always knew is, that... It isn't surprising. Florida, right along there with California, if only because of their size, all right? Right. Um, and their climate and their terrain. The and their population. And, yeah, right. Population, attractions, yeah. good weather, things like that. Um, this is Palm Beach Post, uh, dated uh, mid-November article. Um but uh, uh, just, just some basic stats about uh, this. This was a, kind of a day two story on uh, uh, a business jet crash up in Akron, Ohio last month. Uh. Uh, that was um, 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 passengers aboard were apparently from the Palm Beach area. And uh, this was kind of, as I say, a day two story that uh, just looked at um, uh, business aircraft uh, population in Florida. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see what else was. Shoutouts actually is where I was going to go next. Shoutouts. Shoutouts. Uh, I'm going to take the first one here, and I'm actually going to yeah. steal a little bit of Jeb's thunder here by go. calling attention to uh, Jeb's little department here at UCAP. Uh, uh, the the Florida sure. Man Department. That's right. No, yeah, no, no, no. It's the Jeb. It's the Jeb Department. This is. I just want to call everyone's attention once again, as we told you last episode, to the uh, brand spanking new UCAP uh, Swag Shop. Uh, oh, a place yes. where you can go now to, uh, if you, uh, for some uh, reason that I don't completely understand, but apparently listeners have been asking for this, I know they've been asking for this, um, is uh, some, some UCAP uh, uh, stuff, merchandise. Um, you can go over there and buy yourself a mug or a t-shirt or some, some other items that have uh, either, you can get the uh, UCAP logo on them, or uh, there's a selection, uh, quite a slowly growing a selection of uh, UCAP catchphrases, I guess you'd call them. You can get a, witty sayings. Witty sayings, right? You know, uh, um, you know, pithy commentaries on the state of general aviation in the world. How's that? Um, get yourself a mug that says "Time spent uh, time uh, spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan." Uh, uh, would Dave fly that? Uh, reaching the end of our allotted time. Uh, things like this. So check out the uh, UCAP swag store. Go there by going to uh, uncontrolledairspace.com/store, and that will give you a jump-off page into the actual uh, swag store itself. And uh, and uh, there's an email address there. We'd love to hear your feedback on the uh, selection and the whatever. And uh, we're going to try and evolve this as time goes on and yeah. you know, provide more and more things that uh, that people would enjoy. So there you go, the UCAP swag store. What else? Anybody, I, uh, there's a couple of things on the list here that I, I took the liberty of assigning to people, but you can talk about whatever you want in, in uh, shout-outs. David, Jeb, Jeb, pick one. Um, Let it go. We done. Yeah, no, I'll 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 take this one. The uh, our, our loyal listeners and, and even people who uh, just just generally follow the news may remember uh, earlier this year um, a gentleman uh, 
Uh, when was this? Um, in April. Uh, actually, it was uh, tax day, April 15. <clears throat> a gentleman from uh, Florida, a Florida man, name of Douglas Hughes, landed his Benson gyrocopter on the Capitol lawn. Yeah. After which flying is, right into the middle, you know, right down the edge and into the yeah, middle of the airspace. Given there. given that the U.S. Capitol is right in the middle of uh, protected airspace around Washington, D.C., uh, there were a lot of people who didn't care <laughs> for that particular uh, 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 action on his part. He was promptly arrested. The gyrocopter was impounded, yada, yada, yada. Um, um, <laughs> The uh, he, he was apparently charged in May with six felony and misdemeanor offenses, among them flying an unregistered aircraft, um, <laughs> um, things of this sort. Um, he was sentenced. Um, when was the story datelined? Um, November twenty. Yeah, the Washington Post story. He was sentenced. I uh, actually pled guilty um, to a felony charge. Mm-hmm. Of flying without a license. Okay. That's Is flying without a license angle. a felony? Or, Oscar. Yeah. yeah it, 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 he admitted to operating without an airman certificate. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, the offense, according to the Post, is punishable by up to three years in, prisons, in, in prison. Um, um, the plea deal, um, such that uh, it was, uh, there's no really real sentencing guideline. The the sentencing guide the, the judge is going to sentence him in April, okay. uh, almost a, almost a year to the day after um, uh, the act. Mm-hmm. So what if anything he'll be sentenced to um, is is unknown. Uh, the prosecutors say they they'll they'll look for a ten month jail term. Um, Hughes said he will ask for probation, which all of which makes perfect sense. Uh, somewhere in the middle probably is is uh, what what will, the outcome will be, and you know maybe he'll get time served, and just don't do that again. And, and uh, right. uh, well, you're you're going to be drinking beer out of your aircraft sometime soon. But now has uh, he served? I mean, other than perhaps a couple nights while he was booked, has he served time? Is it, has he been on the? I, I'm not or? clear on that. Yeah. Uh, I think he's definitely had some kind of a house arrest thing going on. Oh, I do remember that actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah he's been limited to his place down there in Florida. You're right, I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. on, on and, one level, I wish him the best. On the other level, you know, there ought to be some consequences. This is a very complicated story. In many it's a very ways. complicated story, and I have a lot of mixed emotions about it. I, I apparently he's he was based nearby. Um, I think he I think he lived in St. Petersburg, or actually, this says Ruskin, Florida, which is east of. Uh, uh, St. Petersburg and, and kind of sort of between St. Pete and um, Wachula. And uh, uh, Wachula, Florida has a nice little uh, uh, public airport. Um, one of its claims to fame is cheap uh, uh, self-serve gas. Right. But another claim, uh, which is somewhat lesser known, is it has a lot of gyrocopter traffic from time to time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, one and, time you had me over there. We uh-huh, had, yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I would bet that he and I have shared the pattern, uh, Mr. Hughes and I have shared the pattern at Wachula mm-hmm. one time or another. Yeah. So, I, you uh, know. Here, here's a lesson for anybody that buys an ultralight and thinks that uh, budging a little bit on the restrictions on a Part 103 aircraft don't carry uh, consequences if you get caught. Uh, this guy wouldn't have been chargeable for flying without a license or flying without an unregistered mm-hmm. aircraft if he hadn't added five gallons to the fuel supply and uh, added hardware to carry a bunch of letters to the uh, to the people in Congress. So he put the airplane over 254 pounds empty and gave it more than five gallons of gas and boom. Yeah, there he's facing two felonies just on that alone. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the uh, misdemeanors with which he was charged was, according to the Post here, was quote operating a vehicle falsely labeled as a postal carrier. Uh, <laughs> M- Mr. Hughes yeah. is, a, is is a retired uh, postal uh, um, mail carrier, po- right? Mail carrier, perhaps retired, maybe not. I don't I don't really remember. But uh, uh, his his um, flight in landing at the Capitol. Uh, had the uh, the purpose of delivering to every each member of Congress a letter uh, urging them to um, get money out of politics. 
um, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a worthy objective in and of itself, perhaps. Um, the execution lacked uh, uh, some some foresight. Well, you know, but maybe uh, he's willing to pay this price in order to have uh, well, made his uh, you know. Well, he's agreed to surrender known. his gyro. Uh, yeah. That's that's not that's not free. Yeah. I mean, so anyways, yeah. So we're hoping for probation for him. I, yes, I, I think yes. that would be okay with me. Yes, I agree. And yeah. uh, but I, uh, I um, uh, yeah, I mean, I. I I support uh, uh, Mr. Hughes in a lot of different arenas. Uh, I support his his uh, um, 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 opposition to to the idea of uh, uh, so much money in politics. I support um, his ability to fly pretty much anywhere he wants to fly. Uh, I I, um, um, I wish him the best, and uh, uh, maybe I'll see him in the pattern again sometime. Yeah. Although you know he's. He's apparently does not have a, an airman certificate, and they they you know they kind of confiscated his gyrocopter. I wonder what's going to happen to it. Um, uh, it you, should go in the air and space museum. I was, was going to say, will it, it be really in the Smithsonian? Should. Yeah, um, um, but uh, we'll 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 take those as homework assignments. Yeah, we'll see if we can try to that out. try to get answers to those. We'll see questions. if we can figure that out. Yeah. David, shoutouts. Yeah, uh, just to show you what. Uh, what determination can do. Uh, I'd like to point out the story of uh, 45-year-old Saji Thomas, born deaf and mute in a uh, small country called Kerala. Uh, it's uh, an, an Indian state, I should say. It's part of India. A uh, small province down on the far southeast, I mean southwest tip of the, uh, of the nation, and this man, using cast-off hardware and his own ingenuity, uh, built himself a, a, a little two-seat, uh, I'd call it a, an ultralight on steroids, two-seat side-by-side home-built airplane and is flying it. Uh, spent a long time gathering materials. Uh, there's photos at the lake. But here's a guy in a part of India that's not exactly what you would call the uh, wealthiest spot in the world. And he found a way to craft himself a pretty nice looking little airplane. Yeah. yeah from the pictures, it does. Yeah. It looks, it's a, a, a very ultralightish, but yeah, it's a, yeah. So my hat's off to Saji. Uh, Absolutely. You know, it's long been my uh, contention that it doesn't take money as much as willpower that if you really want to fly, there's a way to get into the air that can fit into your budget. Uh, this guy <laughs> drives that point home. Yep. Very cool. Very, very cool. Anything so else? Congrats. Yeah, congrats. Yeah. I think it's time definitely to stick a fork in this one. Uh, thank you, boys. Uh, Dave Higdon. Uh, Dave, is, uh, as many people know, uh, is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. Um, what you been working on, David? You were, came from MBAA. I, I get the feeling you're really busy these days. Uh, I'm really busy these days. Uh, it's a good thing. I mean, part, they, Oh, yeah, I'm loving it. Uh, I've got an airplane to pay for. Uh, but uh, the uh, NBAA was really good for me work-wise. And uh, the uh, latest thing, uh, this month's uh, avionics news, I've got an article on uh, low-cost ways to put a flight management system in your aircraft. Cool. Uh, and so uh, where can people find out about you and, and whatever else on the Internet? Well, uh, AEA.net will give you the link to Avionics News, avbuyer.com, where I uh, where they uh, are nice enough to post a, uh, a uh, biz out blog I produce for them every Friday. Uh, and uh, you can look for my features elsewhere or just uh, do a Google search and remember that I, I don't play golf, so I'm not the golf writer. And my theory about physics is I'm strictly theoretical for physics that's right that's right and i don't know if you said that twitter you're real higdon on twitter real higdon right higdon and that's another voice out there is jeb burnside jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine jeb what's going on with you what are you working on oh i'm basking once again in the glow of having put to put to bed another issue of aviation safety um um aviationsafetymagazine.com is where you can check out that effort um 
I'm also working on a piece for uh, uh, AEA's uh, Avionics News. I don't, I'm not sure when that'll appear. That will be uh, about um, airborne internet uh, services available, um, and um, that's a, a very interesting uh, uh, market, a very interesting industry, and uh, very and dynamic so, right yeah, now. Very dynamic right now. Uh, so working on that, I've uh, about halfway through my next piece for um, GA News. Uh, I've got a, a, a column going there called Pilot Related. Um, and uh, right now, just uh, uh, trying to knock out those two little projects and uh, gear up for the holiday um, and uh, uh, gear up for the next year. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. That uh, on GA News is that going to be the ongoing title of the column, pilot related? Yeah, that's what we call it. Um, that's nice. I hadn't, each, I wasn't aware yeah, of that. That's a nice. Yeah, name. each column gets you know a different title, of course, right. but uh, the generic project uh, is called pilot related. Very and, nice. And, uh, uh, we go down that route. So uh, um, i got a nice little piece I'm working on right now. Hopefully I'll, I'll get it turned around here today, later today or tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, so uh, um, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, GA go. News. Um, I guess that's GANews.com. Uh, AEA.net. Um, and uh, on the Twitter machine, Burnside J. There you go. Very good. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, I've been working lately on uh, trying to... Uh, I'm going to create an iBooks version of the uh, Around the Field books that have been on Kindle for a long time now. Um, if you're a Kindle user, you can uh, can uh, uh, purchase uh, the first two volumes of my uh, Around the Field column collections. These are stories that I've written from uh, various air ventures over the year, people that I've met and airplanes I've looked at, and things like that. And uh, hopefully in the next couple months or so, we'll have... Uh, iBooks versions of, of both of those and perhaps even a volume three um, but you know, that's been in the works for a long time now. I've also returned to uh, I got a little distracted and drawn away from my uh, my iPhone programming um, there's a, a, a product I hope will come up in the uh, Apple store the App Store soon that might be of interest to uh, UCAP listeners but uh, that got a little got a little uh, uh, what would be the right word put on the side burner um, Sidetracked. Sideline, sidetracked for a while, but uh, I started working again on that just recently, so I can try and make some progress on that. And uh, um, and then finally getting caught up on the uh, apologies to everybody, uh, the, finally getting caught up on back issues, uh, issues, episodes of this podcast. And so we're very nearly caught up. And uh, by the time you hear this, who knows, we could be caught up or mar- further, further behind again. I don't know. But uh, those are some of the things that I've been working on. You can follow me uh, uh, on the internet. Uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash jackhodgson and uh, learn way more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for his help with the uh, show notes. You know, it's funny. We put these things out, or I put these things out so irregularly, yet the moment one of them appears on the Internet, Jeff Ward jumps on it and gets the show notes up within a few days. So uh, uh, a huge, huge thanks to Jeff for all of the help that he's given us uh, on that over the years and, and other ways. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP Disclaimer Clips. Uh, you can follow uh, the podcast on Twitter at twitter.com slash Class G airspace. That's all one word. Um, and you never know what might turn up over there. I mentioned earlier the uh, get your mugs and t-shirts at the UCAP swag shop. That's uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. Um, and you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to jump in here with one last word? Want to live forever? Learn to fly and go fly because... You got to remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So long. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs>